So, Mark, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I assume everybody accepted the challenge that was put before you last week to study Mark all throughout the week, all six days that you're not here, right? So the people that did that, I want you to come up on this side, and the people who did not, on no. <clears throat> all right, I'm going to put this aside, Craig. I love you, brother, but I don't want to swap spit with you, so I don't accidentally do that. Um, <clears throat> We're going to be studying from Mark 1. Uh, there are Bibles on the ends of the aisles if, uh, if you don't have yours. So feel free to grab those. Uh, we're going to be on page 542 of those Bibles. So they told me that if I was going to preach at Red Tree, I needed to start preaching from an uh, uh, iPad. Um, so I'm going to try this. Here we go. <clears throat> see how that goes. So be patient with me if I lose my place on the screen. Uh, all right, uh, Sam's message last week was just great uh, about something new and wonderful is coming that John was telling everybody about. Get ready for it. Man, I loved that. It was powerful. So as a reminder, uh, the whole book of Mark um, paints a picture of the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ over and over you can see Mark, and, and he uses, um, Sam pointed out, a, a literary type of approach rather than a narrative or a biographical or chronological. He more tells stories, and when he tells these stories, you can see how he sets the setting, and then he's got this building tension, and then this tension comes to a pinnacle, and then he shows how that tension is relieved and comes to a uh, redeeming spot because of Jesus. So we can see that in our story today. We can see that all throughout the book. So at first, you're going to see our scripture passage looks like three separate uh, topics, three separate little stories. But we're going to see that they're all really super interconnected. So what I'd like to do is we're going to spend about half of our time on the first two and then the other half on just the last uh, section, the last two verses. <clears throat> so if you go ahead and turn to Mark 1... Um, I'll tell you about 12 years ago, ballpark, I guess, I had my first experience with an outdoor baptism. And we did this on purpose. We went to Lake Sherwood so we could be out in the public so that we could do public open-air baptisms, and it was going to be really cool. So it's a summer day, and we're gathering in this small community room uh, preparing and singing. And we go on, and we gather up, and we go down to the beach and we're walking across the sand, and there are people laying around in their swimming suits and on towels and playing in the water and, and having a great time. They're all sunbathing. And we look out of place right away. We're in clothes. One guy's carrying a guitar. So obviously people knew something was up. Uh, and they started to look around, which was really cool. That's why we were there, right? So some prayer started, and I noticed I started to feel uncomfortable. I was new in my faith. I hadn't, hadn't really had a walk and I noticed I started really wondering if anybody on this beach is going to recognize me. And I started to get nervous. And I started to get embarrassed. And I hate to admit that, but that's how it was. These strangers, I started to fear these strangers more than I feared the love of God. Romans 1.16 says, Do not be ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. Yet there I stood ashamed of the gospel. 
it's easy for us to be really enthusiastic and on fire when we're with our Christian family. But sometimes when we're outside of that Christian family, out in the public, we start to feel the pressure. We start to feel that tension. We don't like it. That's where the rubber meets the road. But I was being invited into something new, something powerful, something wonderful. But I was waiting. I was waiting. I don't know what for, but I was waiting to commit. Let's read our passage. We're going to start in uh, verse 9. It says, In those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens opening up and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. <clears throat> With you I am well pleased. <clears throat> Excuse me. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan, and he was with wild animals. And the angels were ministering to him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. So let's start by looking at the very first part. It says, in those days. So this is referring to about the year 26. So Jesus is how old? 26. All right. Um, he's, uh, he's coming out in front of John, who's his relative, right? Because Mary and Elizabeth were cousins. So John and Jesus are related. I guess that's, I don't know, what is that, second cousins? Um, <clears throat> John's just a little bit older. And, sorry, it didn't work. <clears throat> John's just a little bit older. Um, so set the scene a little bit for Romans. i got water on here. And what's going on with these people is, as Sam painted for us last week, it's a very, very difficult time. The people are under tremendous persecution. They haven't had a prophet in over 400 years. Tiberius is the ruler. Uh, Nero is soon to follow. So if you've heard any of the history of Nero, you kind of know what's coming. And as Sam said, they're being taxed at 90%, and it's literally starving them to death. I don't know if you've heard about this, but Christians around this time also were occasionally used as a fuel source, and they would be lit on fire to provide light for some of the Roman uh, elite events. They have their pastors just telling him, the only problem is you just need to be a little more holy. Just try to, try to keep yourself in line. So in those days is a very, very dark time. So John comes along. Like I said, first prophet they've seen in 400 years. And this is where people that are used to seeing and hearing from the Lord frequently. So they're feeling pretty dry. Now, I love connections between the Old Testament and the New Testament. <clears throat> the Old Testament constantly points to Jesus. And so here's a time when that happened. All right, so here's, here's the scene. You got the Jordan River, John's on the east side of the Jordan, and all of Judea and Jerusalem are there, and they're on from the west side. So they had to journey through the wilderness, pass through the water of the river to get to John on the other side to be baptized. And that just reminds me a lot of Exodus, how the people, as they left Egypt, had to pass through the wilderness, pass through the Red Sea 
to go on to the promises of God. That was a symbol for them of cleansing. Uh, The Jewish people often did cleansing as a form of preparation, just the same way that we might take a shower before somebody's coming over for dinner. At least, I hope you do. So, um, I, I, I just love those connections, and we'll see a few of those. But as desperate as the people are for hope, as persecuted as they are, something's going to come. Like Sam said, John was telling them that something coming, something great is going to happen. Get ready for it. And yet, they're going to miss it. God is doing something new. It's coming. Get ready. And they're going to miss it. Jesus himself says something new. The Old Testament's been telling him for 1,500 years or more. Something new is coming. Even the apostles missed it. What they miss? Well, that's what we're going to get into. But mostly, in general, they missed the gospel message. All right, so Jesus gets baptized, verses 9 through 11. <clears throat> so here it is in the 20s, not the 1920s. They didn't have flappers doing the Charleston on the side of the Jordan, right? It's the 20s. John's baptizing people is a symbol of preparation. Jesus comes up, and um, a lot of people ask, ask this. I know I did. Why would Jesus get baptized? So here's the thing. <clears throat> did he need to get baptized? Yes. Did he need baptizing? No. So here's the way it works. <clears throat> Jesus was the perfect lamb. And in order to be the perfect lamb, he had to fulfill all of God's laws. And that was God's law at the time, is that everyone had to be baptized. And so if he missed this one thing, then he would no longer be the perfect lamb. And he would not be able to be the sacrifice on the cross to take away all of our sins. Because we all know that an imperfect lamb doesn't satisfy God. So Jesus had to be the perfect lamb. Right? So Jesus is laid back in the water goes under the water, comes up out of the water, and picture this scene. This is amazing. The heavens open up. Excuse me? The heavens open up? Can you imagine that? I mean, the heavens, just as we know of them, is what? It's, it's huge, right? A light year is the distance that light travels. If you turn on a flashlight, it'll go for a year. Where it ends up, that's a light year, Right? So that's about 6 trillion miles. And our universe that we know of is billions of these. And these heavens open up. If I'm John, I'm like, oh, what did I just do? But of course, John's like, oh, yeah, that's pretty much what I expected. And then the Holy Spirit himself comes out of this opening and descends down upon Jesus. He's in the symbol of a dove. And like I said, the Old Testament connection, just like Noah, the dove coming was a sign of new beginnings, new life. And then, it's not over, God's voice comes out. And he tells them that this is his son, that he's perfect, and he's so well pleased with him. You are my beloved son. In you, I am well pleased. So we have the Trinity all three of the Trinity displayed for the people for the very first time. This is a spectacular scene. So why all the pomp and circumstance? Why is it such a dramatic deal? Because as promised, since the days of Adam and Eve, God said, I will show up. And he was showing up. 
But even with all of this, the people are still going to miss it. Psalm 68 told them many, many years before, O kingdoms of the earth, sing to God. Sing praises to the Lord, to him who rides in the heavens, the ancient heavens. Behold, he sends out his voice, his mighty voice. Ascribe power to God whose majesty is over Israel, whose power is in the skies. Awesome is God from his sanctuary, the God of Israel. He is the one who gives power and strength to his people. Blessed be God. Isaiah 42, written again hundreds of years before. It says, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. And the people miss it. Take a look at God's words for a minute. You are my beloved son in you. I am well pleased. What do you think is the look on God's face when he's saying this to Jesus? Just picture that. Now, tell me what you think the look on God's face is when he looks at you. Is it Sheldon Cooper's look of haughty derision? Or is it the pound ahead? If you're in Christ Jesus, I can tell you exactly what that look is. And it's the same exact look that he has on his face when he's talking about Jesus being his beloved son in whom he's well pleased. It's nothing but a smile of delight because of the work that Jesus has done on the cross. Out of the grave and on to a completely new ministry and new life for all of us. Simple and pure delight. And some of you out there are saying, oh, no, not with what I've done. No way. I'm constantly messing up. But family, believe me, this saying is trustworthy. God is pleased with us because he's pleased with Jesus. You are his beloved, and he is well pleased. Verses 12 and 13 tells us about when Jesus gets uh, tempted and he's ministered to out in the, uh, out in the wilderness. So the Father and the Holy Spirit have just ordained Jesus. He's the promised Christ. All of Judea and Jerusalem are there to see it. They packed their bags, they journeyed, and they've witnessed it. There's no party, there's no celebration, there's no Hallmark card that says, Hey, congratulations on your ordination as the Christ. The Spirit drives him out into the wilderness with the wild animals. It's a land of darkness that's ruled by the prince of darkness. These 40 days were a tremendous and difficult time of Jesus being prepared for his ministry and his service. And the angels are there ministering to him. They're telling him, look, by the Father's power, you can do this. They're ministering to his human side. He's going through the anguish and the pain that we would go through if we were there. But the angels are ministering to him. They're telling him, yes, it's going to require you giving up some comforts. It's going to require sacrificial time. It's going to require heartache when you do ministry that you don't see any fruit. Yes, it's going to be sacrificial servitude, but you can do it. We're called to that same level of sacrificial servitude. 
It's a picture of our Christian life. The Holy Spirit fills us when we're born again, and he enables us to resist temptation, to abide in Christ, to spread the gospel, to make disciples, all of it. And Jesus' words here telling us that by the Father's power, you can do it. That's a glorious, joyful message. So then Jesus goes out on his ministry, verses 14 and 15. 14, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee. So John's been ministering. His is done. He's been telling people, this guy is going to come and he is just going to blow you away. Get ready. Anticipate it. Something new. Be excited for it. It's like when I was a little kid, I used to love going on rides, our school picnic. Man, I just could not wait for that every year. And then when my sister went to a different school, we got to go to two school picnics, mine and hers. And you know how it's that season you're driving around, you see carnivals set up on the side of the road or other, other schools, their school picnics are going on. And we would drive by and I would just look out the window and look at those rides and I just wanted to be on them so bad. And I would ask my dad, Dad, there's a carnival, can we go? No. Dad, there's another one, can we go? No. One day I said, Dad, there's a carnival. Can we go? He said, we'll see. Holy cow. Man, it was all I could think about for the whole ride home. We'll see. We might go. We get home. Mom's not there. I know they have to talk about it. When's mom going to get home? Oh, man, we might go. Mom's home. Oh, this might be it. This might be it. They're not talking about it. Come on. They're not talking about it. We might go. Dad, Dad, did you ask Mom about the carnival? Not yet. Well, well, are we going to go? We'll see. We didn't end up going. But you can see how much I longed for that, how much I wanted that. I wanted to go to that carnival. <clears throat> the faithful people of God were longing for something new. They were afraid, terrorized, starving, tortured, murdered. Do you long for it? Do you long for Jesus? He's got something new for us every day. Sometimes I think in our comfortable world with our lifestyle here in, in America, especially here in West County, things get comfortable and we don't feel that tension, that longing that pressing into us for Jesus. We just take it so lightly. Yeah, things are pretty good. I'm blessed. I just pray that I keep getting these blessings that God's given me. Or, yeah, I know I need more of him, but I don't have time today. Maybe next time. I got to figure this all out. Get my ducks in a row. Waiting for something. So then Jesus starts proclaiming the gospel. Verse 15, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. So first prophet in four centuries is off the scene. Jesus is here back from his 40 days. He comes into Galilee and he's saying, the time that I told you about, the time that John was telling you about, it's here. The thing the Old Testament was pointing to for thousands of years, it's here. The time that you've waited and hoped for and pined for, it's here. He's proclaiming the gospel. Hallelujah, it's here. Can you believe it's here? 
Some people in the movies portrayed Jesus as this bearded, quiet, solemn man who speaks wisdom in, in whispers so that you have to move in closely to hear him. And maybe he was, I don't know. But in this scene, I prefer to picture him as on fire, excited, telling people, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. He's begging for them to get it. This is a time for rejoicing, he says. Our God reigns. The Reformation Study Bible commentary says, His supreme reign is fully realized. Jesus sets in motion all that will bring about its actualization. What the prophet Isaiah said in chapter 40 to who? Who was at the side of the Jordan? You remember? All of Judea, all of Jerusalem. Here in, in this passage, he refers to them collectively as Zion. It says, go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up. Fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, with his arm rules. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompenses before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with the young. Folks, we are the lambs. Jesus himself is inviting us into this. So what they're thinking is, everything's fixed. It's over. The end of our suffering. Oops. It's like glitch, right? Don't forget they miss it. They're expecting that Jesus will become their king of their armies. King of war who will save them by conquering hostile Rome. It's a hostile takeover. But they are so primed. They're so pumped for something new. And he says he will defeat evil. They're ready. They're ready to be rid of this. They're so ready for that to get rid of their present sufferings that they don't see that he is going to conquer, but not a country, not a ruler. Death is what he will conquer. They miss that. Jesus goes on with the imperative in verse 15. Repent and believe the gospel. He's not saying, let's take this land back from the bullies. Pick up your arms. Let's go to war. His message is, repent and believe the gospel. Now, repent means to change and turn around and go the other way. Right? It doesn't mean, I'm going to stick down this road that I've been on for so long, and I'll just veer off a little bit to include a little Jesus. It means you turn around and go the other way. How many of us rationalize that Jesus preaches a different gospel today than he did to them back then? That he says, oh, just the believe part, the repent that I told them about, yeah, you can forget that part. No, he preaches believe to such an extent that it drives us to repentance. That he consumes us so much and moves into our heart that he displaces and drives out temptation and sin then that sin no longer holds you captive because Jesus has captivated your heart. If you let him. If you believe the gospel is enough to fill every need. 
John 8, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Have you repented? Have you stopped, I don't know, bad-mouthing other drivers? Have you stopped cheating the rules? Have you stopped making judgments about other people? Have you stopped looking for satisfaction in the things of this world? Your job or your accomplishments? Have you started welcoming the promptings of the Holy Spirit? Even when he prompts you to do something you don't want to do. So think about it. What kind of areas are you frustrated in that you've not repented? We tend to see repentance negatively. We see it as a response to something that we should be ashamed of. But that's not the case. If we believe so strongly in the truth that it frees us up and we can desire repentance as opposed to work hard for repentance. You've heard repent and believe here at Red Tree, but you've heard it in the form of repentance and faith, repentance and faith. How many times have we heard that up here at the, uh, at the pulpit? These aren't new words, but they can become something new in your heart. It's not two separate steps. They're so interconnected. Please don't miss this. It's not because you're failing to try hard enough if you haven't repented from these things. It's because you don't believe something about the gospel. Somewhere it's not filling up all of your needs. Something you don't believe that God is great as he is. You don't believe you're as weak as you are. You don't believe that what Jesus did was enough. You have to add to it. Somewhere we all miss something in the gospel. We all tend to maximize our goodness and minimize the power of the three, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And why do we do that? Because we don't want those three interfering with what we want. But you see, if we completely abide, they don't interfere with what we want. They become what we want. This is the new thing that Jesus is inviting us into. Mark is a perfect picture here In one little quick, really fast pulse of seven verses, we get a picture of the entire Bible story, Jesus' baptism, the entire gospel story, and the story of our lives as followers of Jesus Christ today. And I encourage you to go back later today or this week and reread these passages trying to fit those four in. It's the entire Bible story, Jesus' baptism, the gospel story, and our lives today as Jesus' followers and see where those fit in. All of this tells us that he desires so, so desperately to tend his flock like a shepherd, to gather the lambs in his arms and to hold them close. We hold him at arm's length. So if you're not a believer, if you have not experienced a significant change in your heart because of Jesus and what he's done, what's holding you back? This is an incredible opportunity, and it's here and it's now. Pray that God will reveal himself to you in ways that that you've just never realized before. He can do something new in you. Don't, Don't miss it. Believers, don't miss out either. 
What's holding you back? Our story is the same exact theme that's in this really fast pulse of stuff in this, in this sh- short seven passages. If we admit how weak we are and we believe the gospel to such an extent that the good news rules our lives, then the repentance, instead of becoming a teeth-gritting workload, becomes a desire of our heart. It becomes a light yoke. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I'm gentle and humble at heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is telling them then and us now that this is the time. I don't see anywhere in the Bible where Jesus says, eh, you can wait if you want. There's always time later. Don't bother. It's our workaday busy world where we first have to get the dog to the vet and the kids to the sports, and I have to check Facebook and see how many people like my post. Can you imagine my dad saying, hey, let's go to that carnival. And me saying, nah, I'll wait and catch the next one. Yet we say, I don't want to take on that project at our church. I'll just wait. I'll wait till the leaders get something all set up and organized, and I'll come in and sign my name, and I'll come and check the box and do the thing. I'm going to wait. I'll get more involved later. So often we're not all in. We're just partially in. At least we can say we did something. God requires repentance and faith as a response to this good news. With John the Baptist, the tension has been rising. He's been building it up. Now Jesus is here, and the tension is at its pinnacle. So, Mike, you've been telling us that they missed it. So what exactly did they miss? Someone asked me that. I realized I didn't know if I had a clear, concise answer for them. So I had to put it in here just for myself. The first thing they miss is that God is always present, and he will always show up when he promised he would. He's always here with us, and we doubt that he's going to show up when we need him. Secondly, they wanted Jesus to save them from today's ministry, miseries and right now. They're not so concerned with eternity. That's down the road. Besides, we're God's chosen ones, right? Just take us out of this problem right now. Just, just fix it. They wanted Jesus, the man, to fix today's problems instead of Jesus, the son of man, to fix their eternity problem. And we miss it too. We focus on today's pain and we pray more often that God would take away our pain than we do pray that God would strengthen us to make it through that. Might be relationships or broken relationships or lack of relationships. Might be financial woes. Might be health issues. But as we abide in Jesus and we submit to him and we walk closer and closer with him, our outlook begins to change. Here's how it works. Think of a time when bad news just ruined your whole day. And now think of a time when good news made your whole day, right? It's kind of like the movie Vacation, Chevy Chase, right? They're going to go to Wally World. And they're going to drive all the way across the country to go to the park. And they have this miserable, miserable trip, just full of disasters after disaster after disaster. They're all jammed in the car. It's a long drive. It's horrible. It's miserable. It takes forever. 
And they get there, and they're so excited, and the sign says that the park's closed for two weeks for cleaning and maintenance. They're devastated, right? They don't know what they're going to do. They become desperate. They resort to kidnapping and tell a guy, you're going to take us on the rides. Well, then the owner hears about it. And he comes in, he drops the charges, and he gives the Griswolds free access to a whole park for all they want, just to themselves. Right? That makes, it, that makes their day. That's good news. Right? What if they knew that was going to happen before they ever left Chicago to drive across the country? How would that have changed their perspective on what was going on during the drive? Right? It changes our attitude. It changes our mood because the joy that we can look forward to at the end. And as God begins his sanctification process in us through walking closer with him and abiding in him, first, we just tolerate our miseries, right? Actually, no. First, we're consumed by our miseries. Then we move to a point where we kind of just tolerate them. We get through them. Then maybe we get to a point where we say, hey, these miseries aren't quite so bad. And then Paul actually got to a place where he embraced those miseries because he could use them and show people that he can go through them with joy by the power of God and he could glorify God through that. So he looked forward to those miseries. He embraced them because he knew what was waiting at the end in heaven with Jesus. So why do we always hold on to what's not working? Like I did last week when I told you I was holding on to head knowledge and that's what I was counting on, and I couldn't understand why I still felt panicky all the time because I didn't let God into my heart. There was tension there. God's design is for us to have tension because whenever we're looking for peace in something other than him, that tension will hopefully drive us back to him. So are you letting God consume you and take over your heart to such an extent that it changes your everyday thoughts based on what you know he has lined up for you and his love for you? Are you holding on to the gospel just partially instead of fully? Don't miss that. I did a, a volunteer thing with uh, what they call the water ski ministry where uh, they took little kids out who had been uh, in the inner city, underprivileged kids, probably never been in a lake all their life. And uh, they got, got boats out and they taught them how to water ski. And uh, uh, we would tell them, you know, hold on to the rope, Focus on the back of the boat, stay behind it, don't move out to the side, and just let the boat do the work. And just hold on to the rope and let it pull you up. And they did a great job of that. Uh, at lunchtime, we would eat lunch. This guy named Nate would do an amazing job of sharing the gospel with the kids. And then after he shared the gospel, he would tell them that if you try to hold on to the ski rope with one hand, and there's another boat in the water, and there's another ski rope, and you try to hold on with the other hand, and both boats take off, it's going to tear you apart, right? Yeah, yeah, it will. They said, well, that's what it's like when you try to hold on to Jesus in one hand and the rest of the world in the other. You can't hold on to both at the same time. It'll tear you apart. And we're partially in. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service of the kingdom of God. One cannot serve God and himself. If we receive him only partially, but we don't relate to him fully 
or to others, then we remain on Christian milk. We never move on to solid food. Usually we're partially in, just waiting for another time. In the book Gospel Fluency, there's a story uh, about how this person had uh, gone away to a retreat uh, somewhere in the Pacific Northwest, uh, took some time off work, came back, got saved, came back, and told their boss about it. And they said, I, I, I became a Christian at this, at this event, and I love it. And the boss said, that's fantastic. I've been praying for you. I'm a Christian too. He said, that's awesome. And the guy responded, why didn't you ever tell me you were a Christian? He said, you're the main reason that I've not been interested in the gospel all these years. He said, well, what do you mean? I tried to live the very best Christian life in front of you that I could. And the guy said, that's the whole point. He said, I've convinced myself that if you could live this happy, joyful, good life without Christ, then so could I. We've got to share that good news. We don't have to wait and wait and wait for something new to happen. When we abide in Jesus here and now, we in November of 2017, not biblical times, we're here at the pinnacle. How are you going to let the story end? The time is now. Believe the gospel fully. We're invited in to let this work in our lives. By the power of God, you can do this. Don't miss it. Will I let people know that I'm proud to be part of that public baptism? Or will I stand there with my head down and my eyes darting around hoping I don't get recognized? That something new is just so immeasurably great and we've been longing for it so deeply. We get to be a part of it in a fresh new way. The time is now. Believe the gospel fully and we're invited to let it work in our life. By the power of God, you can do this. My prayer for you and for me is that we would all let the gospel just pour over us and just drench us, immerse us more and more each day. We sometimes look back at folks in the biblical times and we say, how did they miss that? And yet we have an invitation that we're missing every day. Many of us have been missing it. Folks, I just pray that we don't miss those opportunities. It's here. It's now. This is a time to celebrate. Take a hold of it. Let it fill your heart. Feel that joy that comes from knowing what's on the other side. Father, you smile on us even when we turn from you, even when we spit in your face. God, even when we pound the nails into your hands and we do it every day. Every day when we sin. Every time that we put something else before you. Every time we conceal our new life, we rob you of glory. God, you told us just so clearly that time has finally arrived. It's here and it's waiting for us. We've been excited for it and it's here. God, I just ask that you would transform our hearts to see the tremendous beauty of that invitation. And that our hearts would desire to be drenched in the gospel. 
the saving power of Jesus. Move our hearts in such a way that we submit to all that you are and that you move us to repentance. Let's not miss it. Let's not waste it. Father, we just ask that you would please fully immerse us in it. In the name of the Christ, in the name of Jesus, who sacrificed for our sins. Amen.